0: The 630 Chad afternoon news with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.
1: All right, let's head to the daily update from the Alberta legislature. We'll start this afternoon with Premier Jason Kenney.
0: I am. Uh- This afternoon by Minister of Health Tyler Shandro, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Chief Medical Officer for Health, Jitendra Passad, Chief Program Officer for uh, Contracting and Procurement at at AHS, and Dr. Mark Jaffe, Vice President and Medical Director with AHS. I think we also have Shane Schreiber, the uh, Director of the um, Provincial Operations Centre and the Alberta Emergency Management Agency. Um, I'm going to begin with a few comments about the... uh, a terrible crime that occurred yesterday in Nova Scotia. Uh, then I have a comment about uh, a further crisis in our energy sector uh, before handing it over to uh, Minister Chandro and his team to uh, provide the daily COVID update. Let me begin by expressing the most uh, profound condolences of the people in the Government of Alberta to Nova Scotians on the unthinkable acts of evil which occurred on Sunday morning uh, in rural Nova Scotia in and around the towns of uh, Porto Peak and uh, Shumakati, uh, small quiet peaceful uh, maritime villages that saw some of the most uh, terrible acts of violence in Canadian history yesterday. Uh, so far we understand that uh, 19 lives uh, have been lost, the confirmed deaths and uh, more are hospitalized. Uh, in the largest mass shooting in Canadian history, um, I we want the people of Nova Scotia to understand that Albertans share their grief. Our two provinces and people are so closely connected uh, in so many ways. And many Nova Scotians move west to help us build Alberta, uh, and. Uh, It is uh, As somebody who grew up in a small village, uh, there seems something particularly pernicious about uh, this kind of massive violence in a place where uh, violence is so rarely visited. Um, We want to express in particular our condolences to the family of Constable Stevenson, a 23-year veteran of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and a mother of two. Uh, we want to thank her and uh, all of the uh, RCMP officers who risked their lives, in her case, gave her life in the defense of their fellow citizens and of public safety. Uh, amongst the 19 victims was uh, Jolene Oliver, who grew up in Calgary. And uh, here she met uh, a Nova Scotian who came west, Aaron Tuck. Uh, they had a, a 17-year-old daughter, Emily Tuck, and they moved back to Nova Scotia to live uh, in Porta Peak not long ago, Um, and uh, Jolene's sister, uh, Tammy Oliver McCurdy, lives in Red Deer, and she reports that Emily, her niece, was a musician who played the violin. She was trying to choose between music and welding for her post-secondary education. From a young age, Emily would be in the garage with her father helping him fix cars, according to Ms. Oliver McCurdy. She knew everything underneath the hood. She didn't even get to live her life. She had so much potential, so much love. She was so smart, so caring, and so humble, and that gives us one small picture into just one of the victims a 17 year old girl uh, connected to us here in Alberta Um, we uh, pray for those who are uh, struggling with wounds in hospital right now in Nova Scotia uh, and uh, join I think with all Canadians in condemning Uh, this act of unbridled evil by a deranged and egotistical individual uh, in these selfish and destructive acts of violence. Um, We have lowered the flags here in the legislature and government buildings uh, to half-mast. I'm pleased to see the flag of Nova Scotia flying outside this building uh, here at the Federal Building in Edmonton today. And I've just written to... um, my counterpart, the Premier of Nova Scotia, indicating that Alberta is willing to, to help our fellow Canadians in Nova Scotia in any way that we can uh, during this uh, terrible time. Um, with that, uh, I, I would like to address a issue of uh, profound concern to Alberta. Uh, which is that uh, today we have seen for the first time in history our energy prices trading at negative values. Uh, Western Canadian Select trading below zero. Uh, This is sadly something I uh, predicted was quite possible a month ago and it further underscores uh, the devastating Uh, Impact of recent events on uh, the largest industry in this province, the largest subsector of the Canadian economy. Uh, I mention this um, because uh, it's important for us to stress that as the the federal government uh, continues to work with us in responding to the economic crisis posed by COVID and the collapse in global energy prices, uh, we need to understand that hundreds of thousands of Canadian jobs are on the line. some five hundred thousand Canadian jobs are connected directly or indirectly to this, our country's largest subsector, our largest export industry, um, which an industry which has paid nearly three hundred and seventy billion dollars in revenues to governments to support critical services across the country over the past eighteen years alone. And uh, we simply cannot afford uh, to see that industry permanently impaired. I've made this point repeatedly, repeatedly and with continued urgency. We appreciate the measures that were announced by the Government of Canada uh, last Friday uh, including assistance with job creation uh, in the service sector uh, through accelerated well reclamation as well as assistance with investments in, uh, in methane-related technology and uh, a credit facility for small and mid-sized energy companies uh, to assist them in getting access to commercial rates of credit so they can uh, some of them survive uh, this current crisis uh, but much more action is needed and i join with premiers from coast to coast and many other uh, key leaders of the canadian economy including the uh, the heads of our, the largest banks and and our financial institutions who understand that this is not an alberta issue this is not an industry specific issue that this uh, strikes right at the heart of the entire Canadian economy. Uh, if we see uh, the current negative price situation continue for any period of time, uh, the implications obviously for this industry are, are very serious, could not be more serious. And then the implications for the Canadian um, banking sector, the financial services industry, the manufacturing industry, for pension funds, for people's retirements right across the country. Government revenues that pay for health care and critical public services could all be jeopardized. Uh, And so uh, once again I I publicly renew our our, uh, urgent request uh, for federal action in this regard and with that I will um, invite Minister Shandro to begin uh, today's uh, daily COVID-19 update.
2: Well, thank you, Premier, for that introduction. As we all know, the COVID pandemic is disproportionately affecting continuing care facilities across this country. And sadly, about half of the deaths in Canada are occurring in these facilities. Here in Alberta, we are investigating outbreaks in 29 continuing care facilities. To date, 330 cases have been reported at these facilities, with a total of 34 deaths due to the novel coronavirus. Stronger outbreak measures have been put in place to help address this spread in continuing care facilities. Last week, we announced that staff will be required to work exclusively at only one site. Other updated requirements, including mask usage for staff, were established to help ensure seniors and other vulnerable individuals living in these settings, as well as those working, are kept as physically safe as possible. These restrictions are necessary to save lives. But we know this also places financial and emotional burdens on staff, on residents, and on operators. Healthcare aides are integral to the well-being of residents and play a critical role in our health system we cannot overlook their contribution and we must not lose sight of, of how the uh, the pressures that they face can directly impact the functioning of an entire facility that's why we are announcing several new measures to address pressures on our continuing care facilities over the coming days we will roll out a plan which includes the following three first increased funding to hire additional staff so that contracted facilities can address the higher workloads required to prevent infections and respond to outbreaks. Second, a wage supplement of $2 per hour during the pandemic to compensate healthcare aides who provide the majority of care in these facilities. And then third, fast-tracking healthcare aid students through their programs using paid practicums to get more trained staff into our continuing care facilities where they are most needed and this will mean up to 1,000 student placements. In addition, $24.5 million is being advanced to operators to help address immediate cost pressures. We're confident that these measures will make a difference to ensure that our continuing care facilities in Alberta are as safe as possible. And last, I would like to address concerns that were raised this weekend in a number of news stories about the procedural masks that have been distributed throughout the province. Some have claimed that we have sent domestically sourced procedural masks to other provinces and have distributed masks sourced from China to our frontline workers. Now, I want to be clear this is untrue. All procedural masks which have been sent to other provinces were sourced from manufacturers in China. Those same masks are also being used here in Alberta. To be clear, As J.P. from AHS will soon elaborate, the masks sourced from China are safe for use in Alberta and all other provinces. All of our PPE meets the required safety standards and all products are tested prior to being ordered and then are inspected again before they are supplied by AHS to our sites. Now, Thank you for your time. I would now like to turn the podium over to our lead on procurement, uh, Jitendra Prasad. J.P.
3: Uh, Thank you, Minister. Um, Good afternoon. Um, I'm pleased to join today's availability to talk about (laughs) the supply of PPEs in our hospitals and healthcare sites. So, um, first a sort of uh, look at uh, our PPE levels and uh, would like to say that uh, at this point in time and we continue to have an adequate supply of PPE within Alberta, and we're very comfortable with the stock levels we have and the orders that we are placing on an ongoing basis to be able to receive these PPE into our system. And pleased to say that we have anywhere from 30 to 60 days of PPE on hand at any given time as we look at all of our inbound supplies. Now this weekend we did hear concerns about some of the procedural masks as alluded to earlier, and uh, these were masks that were brought in uh, from uh, two different manufacturers, um, and we We have heard from our frontline teams that they're concerned about the fit and in particular that these nose pieces for one of the brands is uncomfortable and doesn't fit like it should. We understand that uh, our frontline staff like familiarity and they like the products that they have been used to using within our system. And I'd like to state that the masks that you're used to using has been around in our system for more than 20 plus years. And so there's a certain level of comfort with these masks. We also would like to say that for the masks that we are ordering in from uh, our suppliers right now, we are very, very careful in making sure that these meet all of our standards. And the standards really boil down to whether they are the ASTM, which is the North American standard, or it complies to a European standard, which would be EN14683. And masks are tested uh, for various aspects of these standards uh, before they're brought in uh, to our system. But again, we do appreciate that there are concerns, and some of the concerns always are related to the nose piece fit, as well as to the size of the mask and the comfort. We recognize that masks are really, really personal because they uh, touch your face. And therefore, there is also the issue of comfort uh, that people are looking for when wearing masks. We've already taken some of these steps to be able to uh, improve these masks, Uh, things like uh, working with the manufacturer to fix the nose clips, uh, working with them to increase the size so that when you pull the mask from nose to chin, there is more material to pull over, which will allow you to make sure that the masks are sitting better. We'd like to assure Albertans that all of our PPE meet our safety standards. All of the products, as we have already said, are tested uh, prior to being brought into uh, into our supply chain. But we also know that there's concerns about why we bring in these additional masks when we already have established supply chains for masks. I'd like to put a few things uh, to all of you in terms of numbers. We generally utilize about 200,000 masks a week uh, prior to the pandemic, which means that there's 800,000 masks that we would generally use within our system. Right now, our burn rate for masks is about 600,000 a day. And when you look at the ability to scale that, our regular manufacturers are not able to do that scaling. And therefore, you're sort of left with looking for alternate sources of supply. And this is where the alternate sources of supplies come in because at the end of the day, when you're scaling, it's so many times over per day, uh, it requires more and more of the PPEs. We know that the concerns that you have expressed um, uh, are heard and they've been noted. Uh, As a result of this, we will make sure that we have a group dedicated to reviewing the PPEs that we bring in so that you can help us message uh, the changes that are part of these PPEs and help us direct them to the appropriate areas of the organization. Uh, We would like to thank our staff for raising concerns because I think it's really important for you to be able to have an avenue and a forum to raise these concerns, and we are very committed to working with you in making sure that we resolve the issues on an ongoing basis. Now, the other issue that I'd like to leave with all of you is that when you look at where we are today, um, everybody's used to one supplier for the masks that they've been using for the last many, many years. I think this is a great opportunity for us to work with these new manufacturers and together improve these masks for the future so that we are never ever dependent on only one manufacturer of products in this province when similar events occur or when we need to scale our volume. Uh, The other issue that I'd like to address is there's been some uh, discussion around the availability of N95s and the ordering of KN95. I wanted to be clear that uh, there are different standards for uh, surgical respirators that are N95s. The standards are, you could either have a NIOSH standard for North America, you could have a Chinese standard, which is the KN, there's a European standard, that's the FFTP. So all of these standards actually Um, are built for the purposes of utilizing uh, these products in a variety of different scenarios. At this point in time, AHS is only using N95 masks and we wanted to assure everybody that we'll continue uh, to place orders for N95 and try and secure as much stock as possible uh, for all of our frontline staff. I'd like to end by thanking all of our frontline workers. You're doing an amazing work out there on the front lines, uh, helping people, taking care of people. And we wanna let you know that we're here hearing your concerns and we're very grateful for everything that you do every day and we'd like to work with you to resolve the issues that you may have and also assure you that the products that you're used to they have not been sent away they have not been donated to other provinces they are actually right here in Alberta and what we are using uh, or or what we have obtained from our alternate suppliers is what has been sent out those products are available on your care units and you should be able to access those uh, should you need them Uh, I'd like to end by thanking Thanking everybody again, um, and uh, uh, thank you. Thanks.
4: Thank you, JP. Thank you, Minister. Thank you. And good afternoon. Let me first add my condolences to the premiers for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones in Nova Scotia. In a time when certainty and routines were already disrupted by the pandemic, this is a hard blow to add. These losses weigh heavily on all of us. Although I wish I did not have additional sad news to share, we have had four deaths in the last 24 hours, bringing our total to 59. Two of these deaths were in residents from long-term care sites, one at Manoir du Lac and one at Care West's RC in Calgary. Another was a death of a worker at the Cargill River, sorry, the Cargill plant in High River and the fourth was in the Edmonton Zone. I want to offer my sympathies to the families and friends of all these individuals. Again, these are reminders of why we are collectively working to prevent spread of this virus. We have slightly less cases today than in the past few days with 105 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta in the last 24 hours. As you know, we have expanded testing access to anyone with COVID symptoms. In addition, we have started testing even asymptomatic residents and staff in long-term care sites with outbreaks and are offering testing to asymptomatic individuals in certain other outbreak sites in order to enhance control measures. As of today, we have tested over 100,000 people in the province with 3,718 COVID tests completed in the last 24 hours. Today's new cases bring the total number of Alberta's COVID-19 cases to 2,908. Of these, 1,230 people have recovered. I want to take a moment to clarify case numbers related to the Cargill facility in High River. There are 360 cases in workers from that plant related to that outbreak. But there has also been spread in the community beyond these workers with 484 total cases linked to that outbreak. Not all of these cases are people who work at that plant. Many of these cases live in surrounding communities such as Calgary. Many of the cases identified in the Calgary zone over the weekend were linked to this broader outbreak. There is a dedicated team working on reducing spread with particular attention on households where there may not be the resources or the space for self-isolation to happen. There is a great deal of focus on controlling the spread linked to these networks. However, many of the new cases that are currently being diagnosed were exposed up to two weeks ago before control measures were fully in place. So we will continue to see new cases linked to this outbreak over the coming days. Outbreak control measures are also in place at JBS Foods where 67 cases have been confirmed related to this workplace and also at the Curl Lake Work Camp where the latest update I have is 12 cases in Alberta and 8 in other provinces. We are working to confirm numbers for the work camp outbreak as cases diagnosed in other provinces take time to incorporate into our counts. Finally, one additional case has been identified at the Foothills Hospital, bringing the total to nine cases. This does not change the assessment of risk and this additional case is not unexpected. As I mentioned on Friday, this week we will begin posting the location and facility name of outbreaks in the province. The first posting will be tomorrow afternoon along with the daily case numbers update that I give each day. We are using a phased approach and tomorrow we will begin by posting a list of outbreaks in all continuing care and acute care facilities. Note that the only acute care outbreak is the one I have previously referenced at the Foothills Hospital. Over the next two weeks, we will begin to include outbreaks in other settings on that list, but we need more time to work out notification processes for these. In the meantime, new outbreaks with unusual circumstances will be part of my daily updates. Because case numbers linked to specific outbreaks change frequently and rapidly, these numbers will not be included in the online posting as they would become out of date soon after they were posted. We will continue to try to provide updated case numbers to the media as requested. As I mentioned, outbreaks at acute and continuing care facilities will be posted starting tomorrow. I know that staff at continuing care facilities are doing everything they can to keep residents healthy and make sure they are properly cared for. In many cases, they are taking on the companionship and caregiving roles family members would normally perform when they visit. That is why I am pleased the government is providing additional support to health care aides. I know restrictions on continuing care facilities are taking a toll on residents, workers and family members missing their loved ones. The fact that these restrictions are necessary doesn't make the situation any easier. This support will help increase staffing at many facilities and allow staff to to spend more time caring for residents and providing companionship that many may be missing. This will support the mental health of residents and workers as well as their physical health. We can all take steps to improve our mental health during this difficult time. The weather is improving and I encourage you to get outside if you can, maintaining physical distance to get some exercise and enjoy spring in Alberta, which we know can be fleeting. I know it can be confusing to hear me say, stay home, and then hearing me encourage you to leave your house to go outside. This advice is not as contradictory as it may seem. Getting exercise and spending out time outside is important and you can do it while continuing to take all necessary precautions and following public health orders while you are out of the house. Thank you for continuing to do your part to flatten the curve. By working together, we can prevent the spread of infection, protect our most vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors, and begin the gradual return to our normal lives sooner. Thank you, and I'm happy to take any questions. Before we get started, I'll just remind the media on the line that we
5: have the following officials available for questions. Premier Jason Key, Minister of Health Tyler Chandro, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Jaitendra Prasad, Dr. Mark Joffrey, and Shane Schreiber from the Alberta Emergency Management Agency. Uh, operator, can you put, further, put through the first caller, please?
6: First question is Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I just have a question for Premier Kenny. Uh, following, as you mentioned, reference today, last Friday's announcement uh, by the Prime Minister on uh, energy, and you called it, at that time, a good first step, uh, what do you say to the many Albertans who, while applauding any step, actually want a lot more steps than just this first step? what do you say to them and they feel this way i think a lot of them because of their real fear not just about the virus but also about the economy as well and what are you going to say to the prime minister and his government to get him and his government to actually go from the first step and do the other steps to the finish line and get them to the finish line. So Albertans and the Prime Minister, what is, what do you say to them?
0: Well, I would say to those Albertans, they're absolutely right uh, to expect uh, real, significant federal action to ensure the future of half a million Canadian jobs. Uh, they could not be more right. Uh, Those Albertans helped to save Canada's economy. Uh, Back in 2008 during the global financial crisis, when we almost lost the Canadian auto sector, the national government stepped in uh, and saved those manufacturing jobs in central Canada. And Alberta's energy sector helped to protect the entire Canadian economy, so we were much uh, less hit by that huge global downturn than other regions uh, because of the strength of the job-creating uh, machine of Alberta's energy industry. So those Albertans are absolutely right to expect and to demand at least similar treatment uh, for the by far the largest industry in Western Canada, the largest subsector in the Canadian economy. Uh, my message to the Prime Minister remains the same, which is Canada cannot afford to risk the future of half a million jobs, uh, of an industry that has generated $370 billion in revenue for Ottawa, provincial governments, municipal governments, revenues that are have been critical to delivering healthcare, and other core social services if we want to maintain our standard of living as canadians from coast to coast if we want uh, jobs in the central canadian manufacturing sector to to be protected that because they're connected to the energy sector if we want the banks in bay street to be protected to have a to have a strong future then we need to ensure the future of the canadian energy sector during this time of an of of an obvious crisis. Um, Rick, we have been in daily and sometimes hourly communication uh, with uh, senior ministers of the federal government, with senior public servants, uh, trying to work out a a package that could ensure a future for for Canadian energy. Uh, And I just want, once again, want to reiterate my gratitude to all of the premiers for backing us up on that. And I am Uh, Hopeful that there will be a a much larger series of measures introduced in the days to come
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
0: Next question
6: is Chris Barco with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Chris Hi, Premier. Just following up on
7: Rick's question with the negative prices that we've seen today What
6: are you anticipating the implications are going to be on the industry and Alberta oil sands production? I guess how is your government prepared to respond to it And specifically what additional federal action are you calling for today?
0: Well first of all we've responded uh, in uh, many ways Chris of course the most recent and dramatic uh, gesture or action being the uh, 7.5 billion dollar investment to ensure the beginning of the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline precisely so that we can uh, have a future for the industry once we get through this crisis. Um, We have uh, collect. We have already announced and delivered uh, $14 billion in economic aid uh, for Albertans, including those who work in the energy sector, including through tax deferrals for non-residential property taxes, fees, uh, AER fees for example, workers' compensation board premiums, uh, additional liquidity measures delivered through Alberta Treasury branches. So $14 billion of action on our part already in addition to the $7.5 billion investment in KXL, uh, and that's in addition to a surge of provincial funds into the Orphan Well Association to get uh, good uh, folks in the service industry back to work. What we're looking for in addition to Friday's measures from the federal government would be uh, a significant package of credit backstop, which we believe needs to be in the range of 15 to $30 billion to ensure a reliable access uh, to credit at commercial rates Uh, so that those um, so that our energy sector can find a way through the next 12 to 18 months of extremely low prices.
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
6: Yes, the next caller is Dean Bennett from the Canadian Press. Go ahead, Dean.
7: Uh, thanks very much. Just a clarification and a question. The clarification is by my count, it should be, <clears throat> excuse me, 38 uh, care home deaths, not 34, based on the weekend numbers. But if someone could help me with that. But my main question is for um, uh, Mr. Prasad. Um, if you could just help me out, I'm just a bit unclear as to, in terms of what you're saying about these masks. And I'll give you a sense of what I'm I'm asking about. Uh, your comments are off the top. You said it's, it's it's kind of a comfort issue. Then you said that they've Met safety standards, but then you said that there is issues with the nose clips and the fabric, and then you said, um, you know, well, we've heard your concerns. But I mean, some of those concerns are the rashes, they're the the, the the terrible smell. What does that mean? Are you asking them to continue using these things? Are you addressing this issue? Do you acknowledge that the, that the rash and, and the smell is an issue? Sorry, it's a bit uh, convoluted, but there you go.
4: So I'll answer the first question. Uh, there have been 38 deaths in continuing care facilities Uh, so just to clarify that number for you
3: thank you so just to clarify um, When we say that the mask meets standards, uh, they meet all of the clinical requirements for the use of these masks in a healthcare setting. Um, When I alluded to uh, some of the um, comfort challenges such as uh, not sitting well on the nose and and, and a sizing issue of it slipping, I think that those are things that we are working on with the manufacturer to try and uh, resolve those issues. Um, The issue related to the odor, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that question, so it gives me an opportunity to actually address that. Um, So when these masks are manufactured and they come off the production cycle. Um, they're actually quite hot. And in in terms of uh, from uh, from trying to prevent uh, contamination of these masks, they're immediately put in plastic packaging. And uh, what that does is it actually seals the heat and the smell of the masks within that packaging. Uh, What we are doing to address that issue is we've had staff over the last many days that have actually taken out the masks from those plastic wrapping and they have put these masks in boxes so that they can get aired out. Um, we've heard concerns around people that uh, say that there's irritation or a skin rash. Um, as I alluded to earlier, uh, we are certainly uh, wanting to work with those folks and there are other options available within our system that if there is uh, some sort of a reaction, then they can certainly um, access some of the other masks uh, that are available in the system that they may be used to. Um, so hopefully that clarifies um, some of the questions and. Um, and sort of the confusion that you may have had.
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
3: Next is Robert Tuttle with Bloomberg News. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, yes, hi, Premier. Um, uh, when the agreement
7: was made uh, between the G20 and OPEC, uh, it was said that the U.S., Brazil, and Canada would cut their $3.7 billion—not through market forces, not the actual right. uh, implemented cuts. I'm just wondering, what, what percentage of that do you see Canada contributing? I mean, how big a uh, reduction in supply will come out of Canada um, from market forces?
0: So my understanding is that we've already seen a announced reduction of uh, crude output by Canadian producers in the range of 400,000 barrels a day, which would be uh, 10% roughly. Uh, I have seen speculation that it could be as high as 800,000, uh, so we would be pushing a 20% reduction uh, in Canadian output uh, through market forces. I would remind you that's on top of roughly 300,000 barrels a day that we already had shut in uh, through government mandated curtailment so we're doing more than our part both through government mandated curtailment and uh, voluntary market curtailment Um, but as you know the real core of the problem now, at least in North America, is that inventories are reaching tank tops and there's nowhere to, to, increasingly, there will be uh, very few places uh, to which to send any incremental production. Um, uh, We have continued conversations with the Texas Railroad Commission, as well as the US Department of Energy, uh, about uh, potentially some form of coordinated North American action. Uh, We've indicated our willingness to, to entertain um uh coordinated action with respect to uh to production curtailment uh at this point but at this you know at this point really it's going to be market forces in north america uh that uh, inevitably force further shut-ins
5: operator can you please put through the next caller
0: next
6: question is moira warburton from reuters go ahead moira
5: Hi, um, this is a question for
6: um, Dr. Henshaw. I'm just wondering if you are planning any broader factory or plant policies given the situation in Cargill. Um, I don't know if that means automatic shutdowns after X number of cases or anything like that.
4: So, uh, with respect to looking forward and learning what we can from this particular outbreak and applying it to others, uh, I think that the important thing is looking at the factors that contributed to spread. So, we know in this particular outbreak, when cases were identified, there were measures put in place at the plant. Uh, but some of the other measures that uh, we're now seeing are really critical. There are things like carpooling that's been identified as a risk. And so, Not just looking at the plant itself, but looking at how do people get back and forth to work? Uh, Thinking about households and there's households where people simply don't have the space to self-isolate if they're a case Or if they're a close contact and needing to provide supports to those people Uh, and so definitely in the outbreak control teams that are being put in place to manage Uh, Outbreaks like this one, so the work that's going on in in High River at Cargill and work that's going on in Brooks, uh, those are the kinds of things that are being looked at with respect to what are all those control measures that need to be put in place. Certainly, I would say that the worksite guidance that we've provided from the Ministry of Health to all non-health workplaces should be something that every employer, particularly employers that have uh, large numbers of workers, should be looking very closely at that. Uh, we would have expected that to happen you know, several weeks ago, uh, and I know that you know many employers are putting those measures in place, uh, but I think really those measures need to be inspected um, and make sure that any company that has a lot of workers still going into work that they're looking at those measures and making sure that they have for example abilities to distance their workers and if they can't have workers distant then supplying them with masks if workers are needing to be close together making sure that there's symptom checks uh, well before any outbreak is identified, preventing spread by making sure that workers who come to any work site are not experiencing any symptoms of COVID-19. So uh, those are some of the specific examples again that that I would recommend and we're certainly looking to spread any additional information that we learn in these outbreaks beyond what I've already said to any sites that could benefit from that information. Operator can you
5: please put through the next caller? Next is Kevin
6: Nimick with CTV. Go ahead Kevin. Hi Dr. Hinshaw we're seeing another day where the Calgary Zone has seen a disproportionately high amount of cases in this case I believe it's 80 for Calgary zone and nine for Edmonton zone. Can you explain why Calgary has had so many more confirmed cases of COVID-19 than Edmonton? And is Edmonton doing something that Calgary isn't or vice versa?
4: So over the past several days uh, Perhaps even the past week many of the cases that have been identified in Calgary zone are linked to this outbreak that uh, There's some workers at the Cargill plant. There's other household members that are interconnected uh, There's some secondary spread and so as I mentioned there are 484 cases linked to that interconnected network. Not all of those work at the Cargill plant Uh, there's again uh, subsection of those that are workers and then household spread in addition to that and because high river um, and many of the workers at that plant live in calgary uh, high river is also in the calgary zone Uh, other people kind of live in surrounding communities so all of those 484 cases are in calgary zone and those have been diagnosed again over the past Uh, Week in particular so there's been quite a few cases over the last several days that are all linked to that outbreak So right now the differential in case counts um, There's a significant impact on those case counts by the numbers being identified in this particular outbreak And as I mentioned there is a dedicated outbreak team specifically looking at this particular issue And where we need to put in control measures to make sure that spread is eliminated Uh, however as I also mentioned because it can take up to two weeks for someone who's exposed to show symptoms it can um, take a while for those measures to take effect so I do anticipate we will continue to see cases over the next several weeks uh, as we wait for those measures uh, to limit the spread going forward. Operator can you please put through the next caller?
6: Next is Ashley Joanna with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead Ashley. Hi thank you. Um, I just want to confirm that I know you said there are multiple manufacturers that make uh, the masks for us, but I want to confirm that the complaints themselves are coming from the masks manufactured by the Vance company, and whether we will in fact continue to accept and use masks from that company uh, once the supply that we have runs out.
3: Thank you for the question. So I'm glad, again, you asked that question because it helps me clarify how many masks we actually have in our system. So our original mask is a mask that's manufactured by Primed, which is also manufactured in China. And we've been using that for the last 20 20- years plus years uh, and so lots of experience and familiarity with it in addition to that there are two other masks that are currently in the system uh, the first one you have already referred to which is the Vanch mask and then there's a second mask that has been uh, provided to us <coughs> through Prime Ed, uh by a second uh, by a secondary manufacturer uh, which is uh, a mask that we call the Primed 186771 um, and that's simply a catalog number for us to differentiate the two masks so both the mask and the primate mask are very similar and have uh, had people raise similar types of concerns on those Um, and given the fact that we are working with the manufacturers and we are working with our frontline staff hoping to get them engaged in making improvements to both of those masks uh, at this point in time we plan to work with them Uh, and the reason for that is um, these are actually extraordinary times when you're looking at uh, supply chain for medical devices Uh, we, we need in the world right now billions of masks every day And we have to be able to be out there, source these masks, and then work with those manufacturers to actually improve them, improve uh, and and make sure that they are safe for use within within our environment. So at this point, uh, we are continuing to uh, work with both those manufacturers, as well as uh, on our original product, which we keep trying to source more of. And hopefully over time, we'll, uh, in partnership with all of our frontline workers and other stakeholders, uh, be able to improve these masks so that we actually end up with uh, three masks in our system uh, And the final point is that the uh, the mask that uh, I spoke about the secondary mask from primate uh, that is a mask that's also um, uh, being purchased by the federal government and distributed as part of its allocation through the national emergency stockpile um, so it's the same mask it's also being used uh, in other provinces um, at, at this particular time
5: operator can you please put through the next caller
6: Next question is Warren Athlick with CJCYFM. Go ahead, Warren. Uh, thank you. Dr. Hinshaw, I uh, just wanted to get a bit of more information on the Brooks cases. As of today, there are 115 cases in the community. Are you looking at community spread and what more might be done to uh, help eliminate that? Uh, and second to that, has there been any more cases identified at Sunrise Gardens Seniors Facility there?
4: So with respect to the cases in Brooks, yes, uh, we have seen some community spread there and recognize that Brooks has some similar challenges with households that have many people living in those households where there can be difficulty for people to stay uh, away from others if they are sick. Uh, So that's something that the outbreak team that's responding to the JBS plant and the Brooks community is looking at uh, Trying to make sure that all those supports are in place and with respect to Sunrise Gardens um, The number that I have at the moment is two cases in that particular location Uh, It does sometimes take a little while for our numbers to get updated This is the the update that I had as of late this morning Um, and so certainly we are aware of issues in that community and are working very closely with Alberta health services colleagues to provide whatever support they need as they work with the municipality, uh, with industry in that area and other partners to make sure that the supports that are needed are there to minimize the spread of the virus. Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
6: is Raffi Bluchanian with CBC. Go ahead, Raffi.
3: Thank you very much I have a bit of a two-part question if I may on the same subject I was wondering Dr Hinshaw if
6: you could clarify these eight other cases linked to the oil work camp to Kerr Lake which other provinces have they been confirmed in and the second part of the question would be for Premier Kenny given that we now have it confirmed that we have seen cases linked to oil work
3: camps in other provinces how much um, pressure would you anticipate to further regulate how these work camps are running or even to
6: temporarily shut them down as had been previously suggested?
5: Raphael, will let you know that the premier had to leave to an urgent meeting, so I will have Dr Minister Shandro uh, answer the second part of your question Okay, thanks.
4: So with respect to the first part of the question, uh, we have had cases reported to us in British Columbia in Saskatchewan uh, and then The company has reported that they're aware of cases in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Uh, We are working, as I mentioned, to verify, and that does take a little bit of time to make sure that we're reaching out to partners uh, and making sure that we are all operating from the same lists and and the same understanding. Uh, So that's, as I I know today, those are the provinces that I'm aware of, but again, hope to have a more complete picture uh, within the coming days.
2: Thanks Rafi. The, the answer is that what we have to do as a province and what all provinces have to do is make sure that we're listening to the best medical advice that we can and that means making sure that, that we're listening to, to Dr. Hinshaw um, as we um, make sure that um, you know, our public health officials are, are going out to these work camps and uh, making sure that they're, um, they're understanding what's happening there and we're getting the best medical advice, so what we're going to do to make sure that uh, the measures we take there as well as throughout the province um, are, are considering uh, that medical advice.
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
6: Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead.
5: Hi, I think this might either be for Dr. Hinge or Dr. Joffe.
1: Um, with hospitalizations and ICU numbers lower than what was projected, what will you look at before bringing back elective surgeries, and when could they come back online?
4: So I'll maybe uh, take the first part and then ask Dr. Jaffe to compliment that. Uh, So one of the things I would note is that it is encouraging to see that hospitalization and ICU numbers are lower than our projections, which again means that Albertans should uh, feel proud of the collective work that we've done to prevent spread. I would note that our hospitalization numbers and ICU numbers are what we call a lagging indicator which means that they are an indication of the spread that was happening about three weeks before someone ends up in hospital uh, or ICU. And so we need to be a bit cautious especially because we do have several outbreaks that are happening right now where we see some significant case numbers and so it's possible we could see uh, in areas where we're having those outbreaks we could see some increased demand for hospitalization depending uh, on the uh, the nature of the individuals who are getting infected with with the virus right now so I'll, uh, I'll let dr. Jaffe comment on that question about restarting surgeries but just want to make sure that people understand that uh, we're those hospitalization numbers um, lag a bit behind our case numbers so it's possible they could go up in the in the coming weeks
8: So thank you for that question Julia. I would say that uh, just to echo what Dr. Hinshaw has just said we are thankful that the numbers of hospitalizations and intensive care admissions that we have been planning for have not yet materialized. I think it's too early to be overconfident. It's too early to say that this crisis is uh, is, has peaked or is behind us. Uh, However I would also say that we have begun some fairly intensive discussions just in the last very few days and that will increase over the next few days to look at exactly that question that you've asked. If we are able to maintain hospitalization rates and uh, intensive care unit admissions at low rates, can we restart some of the procedures that we currently have on hold? Can we start to look perhaps at uh, day surgical procedures, either within hospitals or in uh, the chartered surgical facilities, uh, or perhaps some outpatient clinic activities that currently are on hold? Because we do know that there are some health issues that need to be addressed that are difficult to address under the current times. We will have to restart our health care system, but we need to do that very cautiously, watching the numbers carefully taking guidance from Dr. Hinshaw and the team at Alberta Health, as well as our own team within Alberta Health Services, and then making those careful decisions to, to allow procedures to start to occur.
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
6: Next is Lisa Johnson with Post Media.
1: Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, this, I think, would be for Minister Shandru. Um, It's been announced that the government is is implementing some focus groups to give advice on PPE, and I'm wondering if those focus groups are going to report and when, um, and when those reports would be available to the public. Um, And the reason I ask is we're we're expecting to see the peak here in about four weeks. Um, So I guess in, in terms of timelines, how is this focus group going to help healthcare workers now?
2: Sure. Well, maybe maybe I'll start off by just talking about our modeling and just remembering again that that modeling is not a prediction of the future. That the modeling that that we announced a few weeks ago uh, is going to continue every week to uh, for us as it helps us inform our policy decisions. Continue to be updated, um, and uh, as as we get more and more and better information about what's happening here in Alberta. So just remind that uh, regarding the focus groups, I'm I'm going to actually ask either Dr. Jaffe or um, Sir. Uh, Prasad,
7: answer. Right.
8: So, thank you for that. We do have a personal protective equipment task force that we struck uh, about three weeks ago to help us look at all issues related to personal protective equipment. Uh, We have a clinical group that is part of that. Uh, This has representatives of uh, frontline clinical workers uh, as well as union representatives, and we are going to be bringing that group together very quickly to help us assess the uh, new types of personal protective equipment that we're bringing into the province that might be a little bit different than, than equipment that we've used in the past.
5: Operator, can you please put through the next caller?
6: Next is Carrie Tate with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Carrie.
5: Hi. Thanks for taking
7: my question. Um, it's government. I'm wondering if someone's able to talk about how much of an effect on the agriculture industry the Cargill closure will have, and on the food supply, and what you plan, to, how you plan to respond to that.
2: Sure. I mean, that, that would be um, a question for uh, Mr. Dreschen. I'm very happy to be able to work with you to get you an answer as soon as we can. Um, and I'll, I'll uh, if we can take that offline, and we'll, we'll let Dr. Our, our Mr. Dreschen know about your question.
5: Okay, we have time for one more. Operator, can you please put through the last caller? Uh,
2: next is uh,
6: Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, for Dr. Dina Hinshaw, why was the uh, or was the Cargill plant shut down too late to prevent this uh, the outbreak there into both that, that community and then obviously spreading throughout um, the Calgary zone?
4: So the information that I have from my colleagues who are at the front line who are doing the the detailed work on that plant is that um, there was a, a, a situation where some of the long-term care outbreaks that had happened in the Calgary zone some of the people who worked in those long-term care outbreaks were part of uh, large households where again, it was very difficult for people to self-isolate in ways that um, kept spread from others again, this is simply they didn't have um, the space to do that so uh, Some of the challenges then with those large households where some of the workers at Cargill lived in those same households There were some cases that were identified uh, at that Cargill plant, when those cases were identified there was work with Alberta Health Services and the plant to put outbreak measures in place and uh, what is my understanding is that the measures that were put in place at the plant were really focused on that worksite and they were put in place again when those cases were identified but it seems that there was exposure that happened uh, before those measures were put in place and again in in um, context such as carpooling back and forth between the plant uh, and also potentially then additional transmission within households. So there seems to be several pieces of this puzzle with respect to the location. And the challenge, of course, has been uh, to be able to put all of those pieces together to get a full picture uh, has taken a little while. And so I would say that plant shutdown is is not um, a single only factor in this and it's my understanding that uh, today the plant did decide to close for operational reasons and um, that will obviously be a piece of the of what's going to be looked at going forward with respect to then how that helps. But again, I just want to really emphasize that um, Alberta Health Services moved in as soon as there was a case that measures were put in place. Uh, but again, one of the, the things that we need to learn from this outbreak is that we can't focus solely on a work site. We need to consider the lives and the different parts of people's day and where they are and where they might be exposed because if we only focus on one particular site, it will be very challenging to control spread. So again, that's something that we're going to be making sure that we take uh, under consideration in future outbreaks.
5: Okay, we'll leave it there and we'll be back tomorrow with another update. Thanks, everyone.
1: 430, 434, you've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Premier Kenny, um, Health Minister Tyler Shandro uh, deliver the daily COVID 19 update. You heard Dr. Hinshaw talking about the Cargill meatpacking plant in southern Alberta. Yes, it's temporarily shutting down as a result of COVID 19. It's been linked, um, the, the actual facility, to more than 350 cases, but outside of that, so it's 350 like employees, but also. Um, as many as 480 uh, others have been linked to it, or or, or in total, rather, in total, um, have been linked to it uh, because of who's living with who, that sort of stuff, housing situation. So 360 Cargill workers, looks like another 120 more on top of that, all from that Cargill uh, that Cargill case. Now, in the province, we've had four new deaths, bringing the total to 59. We had 105 new cases, bringing that to just over 2,900 cases Um The deaths include two in long-term care, one employee of the Cargill plant, and one person in the Edmonton zone.